You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. How's everybody doing? Hey, last time I was here, uh, it was uh, right after Christmas, and uh, Ryan asked me to preach, and uh, uh, it's kind of cool. Um, but there were three people here in the audience, you know, and, and while you're preaching and stuff. That's so hard. I mean, it's just crazy. Hey, you could not have picked a better Sunday to be here. I am just so thrilled that you could be here on Super Bowl Sunday. Come on. I was going to wear a particular jersey, but I didn't want to alienate people. So this is a throwback, you know, cardinal journey. So I'm happy. Uh, But I will just say one thing. Tom Brady has six rings, Super Bowl rings. And seven is the perfect number. You know, right? No, no, I'm not going to alienate. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to. Hey, by the way, by the way, this is so nice. I'm going to share things I didn't share in the first service and stuff too. Any of you guys, you know, I didn't even know this was a thing. Dad jokes, you know. Oh yeah, okay, dad jokes and stuff. You know, well, my grandkids are constantly around the Super Bowl telling me dad jokes. Okay. Hey, you got to tell people this one. How about this? Where do hungry football players play? Now, this is, you know, a six-year-old. In the supper bowl. (laughs) He's going to feel really disappointed unless you guys get... How about this one? What do you call a lineman's kid? A chip off the old blocker. (laughs) Anyway, they come with this list of things. Here's a side note. You know, some time ago, this is years ago, I I did a series uh, in another church uh, called Fan or Follower. And, you know, I'm a fan when it comes to sports. I always have been. You know, I've played sports my whole life. But when it comes to this day, my life, I want to be a follower. Not just a fan of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And the fact that you're here today tells me that's exactly what you guys want to. You want to be a greater and greater and bigger and bigger follower of Jesus Christ. And, and today we're going to dig into some things. I'm going to share with you, and I, I don't know if you know this, because I, I teach here about five or six times a year. You may think I'm, I just pull something out of, of the past. Every time I'm here, I always like to share something new that I'm going through myself. So uh, this is the second time I preached it, and the first service was the first time I preached it. So, you know, you guys, by the time the third service comes, it's going to be good, you know? That's all I can say, you know, but here's the idea. This morning, I want to talk about what I call red-letter living. Now, if you grew up in church world, okay, you understand a little bit what red letters were all about. Because the Bible, even your app on the phone, some versions, the words of Jesus, right, are in red, okay? Now, the, the problem with that is sometimes we think those are more important than the rest of the Bible. It's not. All of the Bible is inspired. Every word of the Bible is inspired. But the words of Jesus are kind of interesting. In fact, the first time I got interested in this was really... Uh, listen to a David Crowder song, you know, called Red Letters. You, you don't ever hear that. Listen to the first verse. First verse says, When I read the red letters and the ground began to shake, the prison walls started falling, and I became a free man that day. You know, the words of Jesus ought to impact us. We ought to leave here today different. In fact, when you arrive, as you're driving up, as you're walking in the walk, I pray that you would pray a little quiet prayer. Oh God, what are you going to do today that's going to change my life? 
You don't, don't come for more information. There's, you've got information up to your eyeballs. Oh, God, what are you going to do today that's going to change my life? Every time I gather together, I, I just I want to do that. So this red-letter living, I, I got to think, what would it be like if you and I were walking beside Jesus, the ultimate mentor, and just listening to those words? And of all the places to look, I thought, let's look at the best sermon around, the Sermon on the Mount. And I understand women's ministry going through Sermon on the Mount. Isn't that interesting? You know, God's timing. Uh, Matthew has maybe the longest portion of the Sermon on the Mount. But I want to look at a little bit out of Luke chapter 6. And the thing I like about this is, I want you to just imagine, come on, here with me, just imagine you were there on the side of the Sea of Galilee, and a crowd is gathered, and they're waiting, they're just hanging on the words. And he lays out some things that for you and me, because you may have heard it before, sounds so simple. Simple's not bad. In fact, for my pea brain, simple is great. But the problem with simple is you and I look at it and say, I've heard that before. I know that. That's a piece of cake. That's, that's, that's kindergarten stuff. But they're teaching that right now in kindergarten. They're teaching that in the nursery right now. But you know the way Jesus taught? The common people like you and me love to hear him. They love to hear him speak. And they love the simple things because it makes sense. When you come here to church, I don't want you to come and say, man, I didn't hear it, understand a thing that dude said. I want you to come and say, that makes sense. Oh, never thought of it that way before. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 6, and I want to dissect a common, well-known verse. Now we'll look at the context here in a little bit, but I want to look at one verse, one principle, and this is it. Treat others as you want them to treat you. Say it. You've been hearing, you've been listening to that your whole life. Your mom told you that. Her mom told her that. Come on. That's about as thin as anything I've ever heard, but I want to tell you, and I've taught systematic theology for years, that this is a theologically pregnant verse. There's a lot of depth to this. And so I want to challenge you as I'm challenging me. I told you, second time I preached this, so I'm still working through it myself, okay? Here's the deal. It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, I want to actually read it. Do to others, remember Jesus, Sermon of the Mount, do to others as you would have them, or some versions say, or want them to do to you. Now that would be okay if you and I played by the rules golden rule. If you and I played by the rules, that's awesome. That's hot. The problem is you and I and many, many other people play by a different set of rules. We just do. Let me share with you some of those. Sometimes we treat others the way they've treated me. You know what I call that? 
That's not the golden rule. That's the reciprocal rule. You know, whatever you do for me, that's what I'm going to do for you. I'll tell you, a lot of people, this is where they live. This is where they live. I love you if you love me back. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Don't, don't. I'm not just looking at you. I'm looking at everybody. (laughs) But isn't that true? You know, it's that reciprocal kind. Here's it. Let me give you another one. You ready for it? We treat others the way that others have treated me in the past. That's called the payback rule. And I'll tell you, marriages, this is where some marriages operate. Not mine. (laughs) Not mine, waiting for lightning to strike or something. No, it's so popular because the way my parents treated me is often the way I'm going to treat my wife, Janet. Now, we've navigated through these things. Believe it or not, Janet and I have been married 48 years. You know, I know I look like I'm 20 years old, but it's a... a, No, 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 no. That's a cheap way to get applause, but I'll do anything for it and stuff. But that's so, you know, or, or, you know, my former spouse treated me this way, and that's how I'm going to treat. That payback rule is devastating relationships, whether you're married or just in in a relationship with someone. The third way, treat others the way I think they're going to treat me. That's what I call the I imagine rule. You know, I, I imagine, you know, you know, you look like you're going to do a number to me, you know? And so I'm going to cut you off at the pass because I think you're going to treat me this way. And so therefore, I'm going to do it before you do. Some people have put it this way. Do one to others before someone does one to you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know, I, I just call it, I imagine. You know, I imagine that. Well, the golden rule is so simple, but it's so, like I said, theologically rich. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. Now, here's the question, and this is legit. How do you want your boss to treat you? How do you want your wife to treat you? How do you want your kids to respond to you and treat you? How do you want your neighbor to treat you? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves every time we dive deep into God's Word. You know, what are the implications? You know, if you come in here just learning information, not going to do it for you. It's not going to do it for anyone. In fact, I love doing this. Lean in here for this one. You think about the most religious people that Jesus hung with. Had this much information They knew more than anyone else, and nobody cares. I'm not saying I believe I've got graduate degrees and several. Education is good, but people don't care. They didn't care about the Pharisees and so on and how much they knew. They care about how does it work. How is it fleshing out in your life? People are looking at you all the time, whether you, whether you think about it or not. You know, I was on a college camp. I worked in college you know, for quite a while. Yeah. And uh, true story, I was up on the second floor at San Joaquin Delta College, the second floor. And I was minding my own business, and, and it looked like a little chalet. It was really kind of cool, and you're hanging out, you know. And, and there's this girl that had just come out of the bookstore, and she is chewing on a big wad of bubble gum. 
I'm up here. She doesn't even know I exist. But you know what I did? I said to myself, I haven't chewed bubble gum for a long time. I went down to the bookstore and got a big bunch of bazooka. She communicated, and she didn't even know I exist. Check it out. You're communicating, and, and, and you don't even know it. And people don't, hey, they're not even looking. At least you think it, you, but they are. So here's the deal. Yes, it's a simple passage, but I want you to see there's a difference. When you hear the word want, you know, treat others the way you want or you would have them treat you, we think immediately selfish. This is what I want. Because this is what I want, this is how I'm going to treat them. Because I am the standard. What do I want? That's not really what it's saying here. The syntax of this thing is actually saying this. Figure out what they want and then do that. This is, this will, this is, ah, this will turn you upside down. Just that little, it turns you upside. It's figuring out what other people want. Have you ever discovered that? Have you ever discovered that what you want and what they want isn't necessarily the same thing? For Christmas, you bought your wife a fishing boat. (laughs) She didn't want it. She invited you in the house because she bought new drapes. And guys, you said, oh, this is awesome. But in your heart, you don't care. A, a, a fifth grader say, hey, we're going to go out and buy, buy something. Oh, boy, clothes. <laughs> Figuring out what other people want is huge. Because I know what I want. And you know what you want. But the adventure is figuring it out for the other person. I believe that most of what Janet and I do now is we help leaders around the world, really, to strengthen their marriages and to, to navigate uh, pornography that kind of entered into their relationship or, or uh, leadership issues or depression, burnout issues and things like that. So we're, it's amazing. <clears throat> because of isolation right now, we're busier than we've ever been. It's crazy. But we found something interesting in terms of marriage. We've found that most frequently marital breakups occur because we lack the skill or the awareness of how to meet each other's needs. In fact, if you're married or if you plan to get married, there's a great book. It's called His Needs, Her Needs. And I love the subtitle of the book. The subtitle is How to Affair Proof Your Marriage. And this guy had done research on thousands of people and couples and asked the husbands, what are your most important needs and wants? And then asked wives, what are your most important needs and wants? And this book basically lays them out. Now, is it going to hit you exactly? Of course not. But I'm telling you, it's going to be about 85%, 90% accurate. You want to know what the five top needs for a guy No, I don't. No, don't. You want? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Number one, and this is something that's a surprise. 
the need for sexual fulfillment in marriage. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> now, I didn't say sex. I said sexual fulfillment, which is different, by the way. And if we had time, you know, we'd talk about it. Second thing is recreational companionship. Part of that is I just want to do things together. In fact, you know, when you go on an adventure together as a husband and wife, you'll find that guys open up at that time better than any other time. You know, the gals, you think differently. You know, <laughs> I, I hate to say this, but for the most part, you know, honey, let's go to Starbucks and we'll just sit and drink lattes and look at each other and talk. <laughs> no. Uh, that doesn't happen. Well, it happens with some, but it doesn't happen very often. What happens is, hey, let's go to the lake, you know, and, and, and we'll get out our, our, our fishing boat <laughs> and we won't fish. <laughs> but I'll tell you, if she goes along with that, you know what happens? Ordinarily, you can't shut them up. I'm just telling you, shared adventures together are very, very big. For men. Uh, three, the need for an attractive spouse. Now, I'm not talking about a 23-year-old. Anybody here 23? I don't mean to offend anybody either, you know. But, but yeah, I, I'm not talking about, you know, oh, man, she's just gorgeous. All. No, no, no. Attractive to you. I, my, Janet and I have been married, like I said, 48 years. She's a knockout. Woo! In fact, I want to leave right now. I, you know, she's, she's incredible. But what I mean by attractive is she takes care of herself, whatever that means. Uh, fourth thing is domestic support, you know, just peace and calmness at home. And, and the last one is the need for admiration or respect, okay? Five, you know, five big things. And, and maybe some of you say, yeah, that, that's me. And, and for some of you, nah, that's not me. I understand. How about wives? Just real, real quick. Number one. Oh, man, it's getting wild. <laughs> the need for affection. Now, sexual fulfillment and affection, guys, are two different things. But they can wonderfully be together. I'm just saying this idea of attentiveness. You know, honey, I love you. You need to know that. Number two, conversation. That's a no-brainer. Number three, honesty and openness. Number four, the need for financial support in the midst of both husband and wife, you know, together out in the workforce and stuff. But that's still an issue. And number five, the need for family commitment. Here's the deal. If a woman happens to say, my number one need is affection, Right? I've heard men say this. In fact, I wrote it down. I'd like to do that, Bob, but I'm just not the affectionate type. Do you understand what you are saying when you make that statement, men? What you are saying is I'm either unwilling or unable. I choose just not to do it. It's just not me. But apply the golden rule. It's not what I want. It's that adventure of finding out what does she want and asking God to give you the power to do it.
It's electric. It's electric when you stumble across that. Do to others what <laughs> I'm telling you, this is just huge. Just huge. And husbands, wives, and this isn't just for you, but I'm talking about any relationship going forward and so on. Don't fall into the trap of what I call a standoff. You didn't meet my needs. I'm not going to meet your needs. I'm not going to be the first one to be nice. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in... Listen, I'm, I'm preaching things that didn't even come close. I hope we have time in the first service. <laughs> have you ever been in bed if you're a husband and wife and you're both mad? And you're like this? And I'm not even going to look at her. I'm going to wait till she turns and says, oh, honey, you're right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Ain't going to happen. Don't wait for one person to be nice. Lean into the strong, simple teaching of God's word. But here's the big question. How does that become more than just a platitude? How does a platitude, you ready for this, turn into an attitude? How does a relationship trump the rule? Well, it's interesting, by the way, that this golden rule that Jesus shared in the Sermon on the Mount is actually copied in some form by most major religions. Did you know that? Just real quick. Islam has a rule that says this. No one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. Judaism, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow man. Buddhism, hurt not others in ways that you yourselves find hurtful. Uh, Taoism, uh, regard your neighbor's gain as your own gain, your neighbor's loss as your own loss. Confucianism, do not unto others as you would not have them do unto you. Did you know that most of these are set in the negative, but Jesus is always set in the positive. And there is a significant difference, and here's the big one, and this is the money verse to take home with you, is simply remember that Jesus offers the power to do what you might not want to do. That's the, po- that's the whole thing. This is not just a matter of platter, to, oh, you know, son, I want you to treat people. Wait a minute. The bottom line is, it's really hard to do that. Somebody comes up to you and hits you in the face with a two-by-four. If I did that to you, I'd probably really get beat up. But you're not going to have warm fuzzies. Oh, man, I do love that guy. And we think that's what we're talking about here. We're not. You would probably never have good, warm, fuzzy feelings of somebody who's going to hit you in the face with a two-by-four. But asking Jesus to give you the power, the ability to move outside of what you want and begin to do actions, not feelings, actions that represent a love relationship. Sometimes we just confuse the whole feeling thing. I don't feel like loving her. I don't feel like loving him. Jesus says, hey, I don't care how you feel. Do it. 
Because love isn't a feeling anyway, it's an action. Now here's the deal. Keeps on doing. <laughs> oh, I hope we have time. In Luke 6, it goes on. And so now we need to look at the context. You should always look at context. I hope, you know, standard Bible hermeneutics, okay? Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 31. Okay, this is what is said right after the golden rule. You ready? And by the way, it doesn't sound so golden when you do this. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love you, or love them. And if you did good to those who did good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend, expecting to be repaid in full. Love your enemies and do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I, I just wish we could stay with the golden rule thing. But he gives us a context for it to work. Did you catch that? Here's some of the things. He says, first of all, he says, <laughs> I love this. He says, you love not only your friends. You know, I can hang out here at North Valley all the time. Because most of you like me. There are a few of you. But most of you do. I mean, you know what I'm saying. It is always great to hang with your buds. It's always great to rub shoulders with people that, that know you and they care about you and they, they know you good, the bad, and everything. And we just hang out together and just have a great old time. Right? And he said, uh, 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 uh. applying this to those friends isn't what he's talking about here. Because that comes naturally. Whether you're a church person from church world or not. The second application, he says, is you do good not only to those who do good to you, but to everybody. I want to share. And I hope this is okay, Ryan, if you're watching. A four-letter word with you. Ryan, I'm sorry, but I'm gone next week. You ready? The four-letter word is fair. Fair. It's not fair that I've got to do good to everybody. That's just not fair. You don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand my mom. She is just awful. You don't understand my dad. You don't understand the situation. Because Jesus, if you understood the situation, then you wouldn't say what you're saying. Can we, believe? we say that all the time. To God himself, we say, if you really understood what was going on, <laughs> God's turning around looking at What? I made you. And I also made them. I want you to apply this to everyone. Not to the point of guilt where you're guilting yourself. That's nuts. Stop that. Just stop it. 
But to really make this application sing, he goes to the third application. One that I didn't see coming, and maybe you didn't either. The third application, he starts talking about lending. Whoa! Now you're talking about money. Strange statement, if you lend only to those who expect to pay back. Who wouldn't do that? Who would do, that's why you invest money. You don't invest in the stock market. You don't invest in a bank. You don't invest in anything unless you know it's coming back. Nobody says, hey, I think I'm going to invest in this thing. We're going to lose about 20% this year. <laughs> Nobody does that. Think about this. <laughs> a guy paraphrased this. this is not, you're not going to find this in here, but he paraphrased that very passage. Everyone loves the people who love them. Even mafia bosses do that. Even drug dealers do that. Even people who have no connection or interest in God at all do that. But my people go beyond loving the people who love them. They love the people who hate them, hurt them, wound them, persecute them. He doesn't say you got to like your enemies. He says you got to love them. And if you're looking for the example, it's Jesus. Blows me away. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. You see... The golden rule is not a matter of reciprocating. The golden rule is a matter of sacrificing. That's the thing. That's what makes it theologically rich. That's what moves it from platitude to a heartfelt attitude. And it's when you and I engage and do that that even people who are far away from God get it. Janet and I started the first church in Anthem, as a lot of you guys know. And um, we, uh, <laughs> we, we had a youth group um, that met in our home. And it's like on Wednesday nights and stuff. And so it got to be a really pretty good-sized youth group and so on. <clears throat> I happen to be out of town. Oh, let me preface this a little bit. Uh, one of our neighbors, one of his neighbors, uh, one of our neighbors, and, and uh, Andy, there's an Andy back there, so his name happened to be Andy as well. And uh, Andy was the bully. Not this Andy, but another Andy was a bully. So much of a bully that um, he actually broke the rib of one of my other neighbors. Yeah, yeah, just kind of a shorter guy, but just kind of a bully, you know. Well, when on a Wednesday night, I happened to be in Denver, Colorado, and the youth are meeting with our youth pastor and stuff in the, in the house and stuff. There comes a knock on the door, and Andy says, these kids are making noise, and I don't want them here. And the youth pastor's going, oh my goodness, you know. So I get a phone call in Denver, and he says, I don't know what to do. Everybody went home. I said, don't worry, I'll handle it. 
next day I fly in and stuff, and I get in, drive up. It's not too many minutes, and I get a knock at the door. Andy walked across to the cul-de-sac where we are, knocks on the door, and he's just red. He's so upset. Talking about those, those young people. You know, those, those young people. And he's mad, and he's mad at me, and he wants the Bible study to stop and stuff like that. Did something I don't think I've ever done. At least not as a follower of Jesus. He's a shorter than me, and so I put my arm around him and said, let me walk you back to the house. We're walking through the cul-de-sac, and I turn to him, and I give him my death stare. And I said, I'll tell you what, Andy, let's you and I fight right here, right now, for real. And if I win, the kids can have Bible study. And if you win, then we won't, won't meet there. It's just a... And then I said, so awkward, I'm just kidding you, man. And he just, oh. And from that moment on, we were best friends. There was never any trouble with him. In fact, he always looked for me. He'd honk. You know, he was excited. And all these kind of, it, it just changed. Well, that's not the rest of the story. A year later, almost to the day, I get a phone call from Andy. He had moved to Salt Lake City, and he's in, in Salt Lake with his business. And he calls me and says, hey, hey, Bob, this is Andy. You remember me? Oh, yeah. You're the first phone call that I've made, but last night I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And the reason I wanted to call you is to let you know I'm so sorry for what I did that night. God just got a hold of my life. Now my wife just came in and she knows this is a true story. Sometime after that, I get another call from Andy. He says, I want you to be one of the first ones that I've decided to go into ministry full-time. Man, is that awesome? You see, living it out doesn't mean duking it out with someone, but it does mean being consistent. Because it's your enemies that are going to reap kingdom benefits by your consistency in your life. I'd like us to pray as the band comes up. And my prayer for you is that you and I would move this principle from platitude to attitude. Figuring out what someone else wants and then meeting the need in their life. Would you pray with me right now? Gracious God, you are so good to us. You are. And of all people, we're the, the, the least of people to be recipients of your love and grace. But Lord, we are, and we're thankful. I pray that each one of us here might in the way, in the context of our own lives, be able to apply this very simple, simple principle in perhaps a fresh way that might reap kingdom benefits. 
And we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the thanksgiving. And everybody said, amen. God bless. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.